and welcome to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. And we have as our very special guest uh, today, Dr. Esau McCauley. He's a professor of New Testament at Wheaton College in Illinois. Uh, he's also a guest opinion columnist for the New York Times. If you subscribe to the New York Times, uh, you may have seen him there. Uh, and he's the author of the book, Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. And we are uh, so happy that he joined us today. He has a lot on his plate. So we really, really appreciate your time, Isa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so glad to have you here. So today um, we're going to be tackling a question that actually came in uh, on the website. So it's a listener submitted question and uh, listeners and viewers, you too can submit a question by going to the website at enterthebible.org. And up at the top, there's a little button that says got questions and you can click on that and there's a form you can send them to us. They can be anonymous if you wish. Uh, and we try to answer as many of them as we can on the podcast. And um, the question today uh, feels pretty timely um, for a lot of reasons. And uh, it says, can you help bibli biblically explain why nationalism is not a Christian narrative in this country? I'm assuming they mean the United States. Christian nationalism has taken center stage, but how do we teach Jesus's view of nationalistic rhetoric? It's a great question. There's a lot of things, um, I think, going on in that question, including noting that Jesus um, was a Jew and that there was indeed nationalistic rhetoric, you know, as part of the, the culture that he, um, you know, that he uh, grew up in and, and, and ministered out of. So, yeah, big question, important question. Isa, I'll go first. <laughs> yeah, you got that. Are you going to solve well, this problem for us today in 20 I mean, minutes? I, I, I think that when we start talking about things being biblical, you have to kind of clarify what we mean by that. Yeah. In other words, does um, the New Testament, the Old Testament directly address like Christian nationalism in the way that we experience it here in the United States? And the answer probably is no, if you're going looking for the verse. And I think that sometimes when we start looking for things in the Bible, we can start doing verse hunting instead of taking a step back and say, well, how does the Christian faith shape our imagination? And how does that, or the way that we see the world? And then how does that imagination and that way of looking at the world then impact the kinds of questions that we, that we face? So I do believe that the scriptures give us a broad orientation to answer a variety of questions, but it's not as simple as finding the anti-nationalism verse. Right. So um, I might begin by saying something around like Jewish nationalism. Yeah. or at least the Jewish hopes in, in the Bible. And I've actually spoken about this. I, I wrote about it in my book. Is that, yeah, if you, if you read the, um, the, the, the Jewish scriptures and some of the, the, the prophetic texts around the, the hope for the coming of the Messiah, the fact that, he, that these texts depict there'll be a king who's going to kind of destroy Israel's enemies and establish kind of this, this Jewish um, state free of all enemies is, Kind of, I mean, that's par for the course. That's just, you can find that in, in, in religious text everywhere. But I think one of the things that makes the, or that kind of hope for a redeemer figure in other places, I think that one of the things that makes 
the, the Jewish scriptures and even Jesus's own fulfillment of them is they themselves imagine more than that. In other words, part of these prophetic texts, when they begin to imagine the messianic kingdom, is where they're beating their swords into plowshares. Right. Yep. And that and, and the, Jew, the Jewish picture for the Messiah does not simply re- consist of all of the bad people being kicked out and then the good people winning. It's actually the gathering up of the nations to come to the mountain of the Lord to learn of his ways. And so precisely because Jewish the Jewish scriptures had a particularistic understanding of the Messiah, it was therefore that for that very reason national. In other words, the, 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 the Messiah was supposed to restore Israel and then invite the nations in. And so when Jesus begins to then proclaim the kingdom, it, has, it eventually has both of those components, that he is both the hope of Israel, and because he's the hope of Israel, he's also the hope of the world. And so I think that Christianity has always had, when it's at its best, a kind of non or, or trans, probably was a transgeographic orientation in which the kingdom was for everybody Mm -hmm. um and the idea is that when jesus did come to establish his kingdom he doesn't just restore israel he restores israel and he participates in the gathering of the nations and so i think that the christian at least ought to begin with that same kind of internationalist mindset at least they began to think about well who's who's a part of god's kingdom well that's people from every tribe tongue and nation well if that's how you think of the church spiritually, like that we are a part of a family that crosses these these borders. I think it begins to give you the kind of philosophy of persons that also doesn't limit your love to borders. So I wanna say that the internationalist bend of Christianity orients us towards a concern for people beyond our geographic um, locale. That's at least the first thing. I could probably say more, but I wanna not steal all of the time. Yeah. There, there no, are a couple that's, that's really helpful. And there's a couple of things that really strike me in what you're saying. And, and one is, um, <laughs> I think we can make mistakes kind of on both sides of this, especially, you know, Christians in particular, sort of forgetting the particular, the, the particular Jewishness <laughs> of Jesus and the ways in which Jesus is fulfilling God's promises to the people of Israel, right? That helps us avoid things like anti-Semitism yeah. and helps us avoid the idea like, oh, the Jews aren't the promised people or or the chosen people anymore like we are or whatever sort of that's called supersessionism which is a big problem that has you know contributed to you know the holocaust and other terrible evils in history and so it's very very important to understand that jesus is fulfilling particular promises to israel and in the process because god made these promises to israel that they would be blessed to be a blessing to the entire world through those promises, they're being open up to the rest of us, right? To the Gentiles, um, so that we can be, as Paul talks about, be grafted in. Yeah. And at the same time, so there's a tension there between the particularity and then the universality of what God is doing uh, in Israel, through Israel, and in in Christ, and in Christ as the King of Israel, and, and ultimately the entire cosmos. Um, so that, that strikes me as one thing, but then on the other hand, what, what I really, um, appreciate about what you said was about, um, because of the fact that the kind of Jewish understanding of nationalism had this sort of outreach to the entire nations and Jesus in particular saying, go make disciples, baptizing all nations in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit, 
that there that there is a, a transcendent you know transborder kind of movement here but um yeah even within like if we can kind of drill down into that yeah like the idea and i and i always tell people like why did god why did the stories that we have the stories to kind of form israel so why does god choose for himself a people who themselves knew slavery hmm. and oppression well, the, the Jewish scriptures actually make it clear why he did this, because you should be um, sympathetic for the foreigner, right. because you were a foreigner, and not yeah. only were you a foreigner, you were oppressed. And so God bakes into the system uh-huh. of, uh, of, of Jewish nationalism, can, both an internationalist mindset, you will bless others, yeah. and a, can, a conviction of, or, 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 or disposition towards sympathy for the people who are not a part of God's people. And you see this repeat itself over and over again, something like Joseph being the means by which um, Egypt is saved and all of these other places where God uses his people to bless other people. Yeah. And so one of the things that I would say that then might mark a a, a Christian understanding the responsibility to the world are those two, those similar kind of inherited traits. We should, because God was gracious towards us in Jesus, have as our basic disposition a graciousness towards others. It is really hard to say, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, he, like the person who we follow puts others first, and then we follow him. So it's really hard for us to say, well, our primary concern um, is ourselves and not others. And so one of the things that I would say is like a truly, like, I don't know. I think that a Christian political philosophy would get us killed, but it might be a glorious death. That might be what I would say. And I'm actually, I'm actually 100% like serious when I yeah, say this. No, for like, real. I really believe that like, what if, people said we can't put the christians in charge of stuff because they're way too compassionate hmm. what if people said you know what these christians are doing they're always giving away all of their stuff so i think that in other words like maybe maybe our job is to witness to a way of being human in the world and not always fall back into pragmatics and i think that a lot of like nationalism where if it means by that our nation first to the expense of others. I think that's hard to square with not a Bible verse, but a disposition towards realities that Christians have. And so like, for example, this might seem like a, for example, if we say we bring in 2 million refugees and let's say 50,000 of them don't want to work. Let's just let's assume this is the case, right? They don't want to work and they are a drain on our economy. But let's just say the other 2 million of them do want to work. That's a fair trade for me. Fine. Right. <laughs> Even if it's 50, 50, right. At what point do we decide as like, what is a person worth? In other words, my moral calculus is not, do I benefit on the whole from some action, but who benefits from that action? And I think there's a form of, of nationalism that's protective that is rooted in a, in a, in a, prim, a primacy of financial benefit that doesn't include within it the spiritual calculus of kind of Christian thinking. So when, what I would say is that like some forms, or not some forms, the way that I hear nationalism talked about isn't simply unbiblical in the idea that I can quote some verse about, you know, 
the kingdom being for everyone. It's it's fundamental instincts, I think, are sub-Christian. And I think that when I see some of the discourse that goes along around something like America first, I just don't know if a Christian can say that. And and the interesting thing, the other thing that I would say is that that doesn't actually rule out pride in your country. Yeah, I think that like a one of the one of the amazing things about the the Old Testament is that it tells the whole story, both the glory and the shame. And because ultimately they understand that this story is God's story, they can be honest about their failures and law of their successes. And so I think that if you want to say like I am proud of some of the things that we've done as a country. And I'm also ashamed of some of the things we've done in the country. And the reason, and I'm sorry, I'm just rambling. The reason that these Old Testament passages are there, especially some of the dark things that have been done, is precisely so that we don't repeat them. Right. Mm -hmm. So these things were for our instruction. So you see those things, you kind of say, you know what, you shouldn't do this because it leads down this path. So I think patriotism in the sense of, being proud of some of the glorious things that have happened um, in this country um, is fine. If it comes down to some form of denying elements of our history or protecting ourselves at the expense of others or not being willing to suffer for others, then I think that some of those elements might might be tricky um to articulate as a christian so yeah like i i think that america like i'm proud to be um an american but i might just put that pride in different places mm. um you know i might say like this is the place where tony morrison wrote and lived and struggled this is the place where like sojourner truth and frederick Douglass and fannie lou hamer and all of these people so like there is no other place where um martin luther king if you walked across P- pettish bridge than in the united states Right. So there's parts of our story where I got to go, yes, I'm glad to have been here when that occurred. I'm glad to be the, an heir to that legacy. But there are also parts of our story that um, trouble me and that I still like struggle to be a part of. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, this yeah. is, I, when I, went to, when I used to live, um, my wife was in the United States Navy. She, she was a, a Navy reservist. But when she was in the active duty, she was stationed as a pediatrician in um, Okinawa, Japan. And when I was preparing to go there, I'd never learned about this in school, really. I learned about the Battle of Okinawa and how we bombed that place like nearly within an inch of its life and some of the sufferings that were there, some of the people who died there. And, And the fact that a lot of people didn't like the fact that there's a military base in Okinawa. And I dealt with like face-to-face real Okinawans whose families were affected by both the um, bombing and by the legacy of colonial occupation. I could talk about this for, for, for years, but one of the things I noticed is that that was actually the poorest of the islands or the poorest of the provinces in Japan. And they're the ones who holds, who house all of the, most of the American military and the other more wealthy provinces in Japan benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Now, I have historically been like the, oh, the, the, the person pushing back on oppression in the United States. So it was really interesting for me to go to like a foreign country and be seen in participation in the colonial. It was like, it's like, a yeah, really right. weird, I never felt more American 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> when I was actually like the person who everybody was mad at. Yeah. And, but it was really instructive for me to come face to face with our history and listen to it and listen to our other people who weren't us describe it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is part of American legacy too. And, and have that inform how I um how I look at the world. So I want to say that Christian being proud of some of the accomplishments of your country in the context of acknowledging its own um, sins is part of what it means to be a, a part of any place. I think that as a Christian, it's really hard to have a, a mindset that is primarily focused on your own protection versus the good of others, given what Jesus says about the value of the other peoples of the world. Thing. That, that's really helpful. I, I think about two things. One is the question of identity, right? I feel like we're, we've been talking about that, right? Is my, is my root identity Christian or is it American, right? Hmm. And, and they aren't necessarily opposed to each other, but you know, when, when they are in conflict and there are times when they're in conflict, you know, which one am I going to choose? Yep. And, and I think one of those, you know, I, for, for those who claim to follow Christ, or who want to follow Christ, hopefully we choose the Christian identity, right? Yeah. When it comes to things that, you know, our government is doing that we don't agree with that are anti-refugee or anti-foreigner, right? That, that, that we can, you know, root our, our responses in the Christian identity. And the other thing I, you know, you said you can be proud, you can be patriotic without, uh, you know, affirming everything that America has done or, you know, in the past or is doing now. And I, I think about, you know, Martin Luther King and his, his call was based on both scripture and, right, the Declaration of Independence, the, the Constitution, right? He, he called people to live up to the ideals that we said we held to, right, that all people are created equal. So we can, we can affirm those ideals and also call our nation to account when we don't live up to those ideals. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, forgive me, I may get the details wrong. Um, this may have been Gettysburg, it may not have been Gettysburg, but I think it was either Maine or Vermont. There's a guy named Chamberlain who, um, when defending like um, some territory during the, the Civil War, like issues to stay in that charge. I remember reading about that. I'm pretty sure it was Maine or Vermont. He was somewhere in New England. And white guy said, you know, like save this important battle. I remember reading about it in high school and it's being so thankful and said, yeah, that was a moment where like someone like fought a battle that had this long, had, had this, had this implications for bringing about the freedom in, in a lot of ways um, during the civil war. And I was proud about that, but like there are other times where I've said, you know, some of the things we committed during this war, I'm not proud of. And I think that like what Christianity does is it gives you the freedom to say both of those things. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I think that sometimes one of the things that I, that, I, that I say to my students is if you can kind of go through the entirety, how do I know if I'm a nationalist? Well, if you go through the entirety of our history and you can't find one bad war, <laughs> like, like yeah. so our nation is the only nation in the history of time whose cause has always been just, righteous, and true. Or like, or like, so like, in other words, if you, there are ways in which you can use our, like our sins to be caught up in the same narrative of glory. 
In other words, instead of like focusing on the bad thing that we did, we talk about how we overcame it. Hmm. So in other words, we would say we used to in, 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 enslave people and now we have a black president or we had one. Well, sure, but you downplayed, no, 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 like we enslaved people, then we did Jim Crow. And so living with the, the, the sins and not, not even wrapping those up too quickly into the story of this inevitable evolution towards equality, because history doesn't always move that way. History moves back and forth. Yeah. And I think that part of what it means to be like a patriotic Christian who is not simply a nationalist is precisely the ability to both see that sin in the past and to be able to call it out in the present. Yeah. In other words, you have to be able to say, like, and we, and we, and we always, we're always comforted by these people. The people who, when the rhetoric was highest, could pierce through it and say, no, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. We can often look back and say, okay, in retrospect, this is, this is wrong. But you got to be able to say it in the moment. Because what's going to happen is we're going to look back, and we do this all of the time, we look back and we say, you know what, was there anybody in Germany who was paying attention? Because we're all swept up as, oh no, these were those Christians. Right. And so I think that it's really important for me is not that I get everything right or not that I'm always protesting against the status quo. But I think to myself, if everyone, if someone ever looks back on, on American history during this period of time and they said, well, when nationalism seemed to be like peaking, was there anybody who said no? And I think you can tell if you are a nationalist, if you can never say no, <laughs> um, yeah. or you only say no in the prescribed ways that your political party tells you to say no to. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like a genuine Christian rebellion, maybe I, I'll say this, Christians ought to be unpredictable. Right. And what yes. I mean by this is yeah. not that we are just like tossed to and fro by the wind, but people ought to know, regardless of your party, if mm-hmm. we do something wicked, the Christians are gonna come for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wish that was our, I wish that was our reputation. No, I yeah, I tell my students. So I teach Old Testament, and I tell my students, especially when we're when we're reading the prophets, you know, I'm like, look, all of you want to be prophetic, right? But just you know, sometimes if you're if you're saying something that your people don't like, maybe you're just being a jerk, right? You need to be yeah. <laughs> you need to be self aware, right, yeah. and humble. And if your platform, if your theology looks exactly like the platform of either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, then you're not doing something right, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just what, I think that's what you mean when you say Christians yeah. should be unpredictable, right? Unpredict- we can't, yes. So we can't be put into one box or the other in our very- Yes, yes what I mean, like we should be, like people should believe that we're actually analyzing issues one by one, right? doing the best that we can to make a decision. Exactly. In other words, no one should think that we have these Christians in our pocket so we yep. can do whatever we want. Exactly. And so one of the things, I'm glad as a great Old Testament person, what I say to my students all of the time is that we forget that the prophets, like the king was the government. Exactly. When Nathan goes to David and says, you know, you're the man, like that's him talking to the government. That's him going to Congress or right. Senate or the president and go, no, no, no. Right. You, in this case, have um, gone beyond the limits of your power. And so I think that that kind of ability to do that is the key that separates, the, like the Christian ought to be, yeah, ought to be dangerous. Yeah, That's all I would say. 
love Amen. That. Amen. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, 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 and here's the thing, and I want to say something about danger. This is the last thing. Because I don't believe that like in, in every season we're equally dangerous to everyone. If someone's wrong four times in a row, they're just wrong four times in a row. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's not, it's not like, in other words, I don't believe in both sides. I believe being on the side of truth as best as you can discern it. Right. Yeah. Um, and because humans are are fickle and nobody has the kingdom, everybody's gonna be wrong at some point. Right. And so you will find yourself on the other side uh, of different things. But I really think it's like really doing your best. And sometimes like, when, here's, sorry, this is the this last thing. Um, one of the things that, that I noticed when I started um, writing some of my, my opinion pieces is that sometimes some of the most radical things that, that, that you might say or do as a Christian aren't necessarily these global things that are like these geopolitical ideas that we have in our mind. Sometimes, like I remember, um, I wrote an article about like not getting what you want, being a part of what it meant to be a good spouse. A, a good spouse. Yeah, right. mm -hmm. And I wrote it as a male on, on purpose, because I know it feels, it sounds a lot different if a woman says it's okay to sacrifice, you know, because that's kind of plays into like, you know, a, a host of different tropes. But I thought it was really important for me to say, well, no, as the husband, part of what it means for me to be married to my wife is me not getting what I want. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was in its own way, a pushback on a particular narrative around sex self-actualization. Self yeah. you know, part of being married is to get a spouse who's going to help you become whatever it is you want to be, instead of teaching you that life isn't about you. And so to be a Christian who's prophetic, it doesn't mean that we're simply looking at national geopolitical trends and just taking a side and yelling at the culture about it. It is actually sometimes living as a Christian in a way that goes against these narratives. One of the things I used to do with my students when we had time is that we talk about the secular liturgical calendar. And we just go through each month of the year and say, what do they tell you you're supposed to be doing during this time? What are you supposed <laughs> to be doing during March? Oh, you're a spring break. What do you do during spring break? Oh, what do you do during February? What do you do? And so I said, oh, so there's an entire calendar that shapes how you live, what you do, what you buy, what you wear, what you eat, what you drink. It's like you're a part of it. You're just born into it and you just follow it, including the certain patriotic myths that you have to recall, like mm -hmm. even though that we know they're not true. So I said, well, what does it mean to rebel against that? And what does it mean for the church to have an alternative liturgy that shapes you differently? Yeah. So one of the reasons why you can't be a, a pure Christian nationalist is because every myth that a nation tells about itself tends to downplay its sins and point you towards a way of being human that isn't the kingdom of God. Yeah. And simply being a Christian often challenges those, those narratives. So in the first century, well, the Christians stopped participating in some of the 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 um, the, um, the rituals related to the gods that was supposed to bring favor to cities and towns. They weren't making a political statement intentionally, but simply by being Christians who said, you know what, I don't need to make an offer to Poseidon in order to get fish. I will just trust Jesus. Well, that disrupts the entire kind of nationalistic system in 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 the Greco-Roman world, and so part of what it means for to resist Christian nationalism is to understand that like no particular nation can completely embody the kingdom. So whatever narrative that that nation is telling you is going to include within a certain lies that you got to resist. And so I think that the Christian is always in some kind of tension between what the culture is telling you and what is real about what the Bible or the scriptures or the tradition say about what it means to be a human. 
Wow, that's that is wonderful. I um, yeah, amen. This is going to spark, I think, some really excellent conversations, and um, just really appreciate, uh, you know, really appreciate your insights uh, on this. Um, and I'm sure our listeners feel the same. So be sure to share the podcast with a friend. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Enter the Bible podcast. And you can get resources, Bible studies, podcasts, videos, uh, and courses, and so much more on the uh, website, enterthebible.org. Be sure to rate and review uh, the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share it with a friend. Until next time.